Hello and welcome to the AIPT Comics Podcast, episode 138. My name is David Brook and I'm here with Nathan Simmons. Nathan, how you doing this fine Saturday morning? Dave, I'm really good. I I had a weird dream last night that I've been like holding off till we record, and I was oh. hoping maybe I could run through it real quick, see if our listeners can help me out here. Okay, cool. Interpret it for me. Is that yeah. is that a weird way to start the show? <laughs> totally not. And you can put your comments in the uh, amptcomics.com post for this podcast. <laughs> okay. So uh, so this played out over the course of two nights. Okay. So I go to bed Thursday night. I have a dream that uh, I'm on vacation and I'm about to get, I think I'm about to get on a bus and I'm not allowed to take any liquids on the bus. And Uh so I'm like, oh, I should drink the drinks that I have. Uh And the only drink that I have is a bottle of hot sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm not wasting this. And so I I drank half the bottle and then I woke up. Last night, I... (laughs) I go to sleep. I'm back in the bus station, baby. I got to finish that bottle of hot sauce. And I'm about halfway through the bottle when I see the expiration date on it. And I realized that it expired two years ago. Oh, no. And I said, oh, no. Well, I've gone too far already. So I finish the bottle of hot sauce. And then I wake up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I ever got where I was going. It sounds like you're a man who commits, right? You you start something, you got to finish it. I guess so. And so I, I will, I promise you, I will be here until the end of this episode. <laughs> be funny if you just disappear at some point. <laughs> How are you doing, dude? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm excited for our guests. We have um, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lensing on to talk about The Harbinger at Valiant, which uh, is coming out in October, October 27th. Uh-huh. We also get into Kang the Conqueror, Batman Urban Legends, but also their like duo writing partnership. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. I think and some these guys really cool, uh, yeah. create their own stuff. They have coming up too. Yes, yes, we get some uh, some early details. I think we might have some of the only details on this on some this title when this goes uh, live. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about them. I think they're going to be doing some big big stuff down the road for Marvel, oh, yeah. DC, and probably other indies as well. Well, like I, I really, I'm really digging Kang so far. I'm looking forward to. Um, their Batman Beyond story. That's a that's a property that I have a lot of love for. And the fact that it's like this dark uh, noir detective story has me very interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and and we both read the first issue of The Harbinger and it rules. It's uh, it really does. It's very surprising yeah. to me because it's not a uh, not a character that I have a ton of history with. You know, I was I, I've really enjoyed a lot of the new Valiant books, but some of them I had you know, uh, some experience going in. Like, I love Ninjack, I love Shadow Man, and Harbinger's always been kind of, like, on the outskirts for me, but this first issue, it, I'm a fan now, so I'm, I'm oh, really totally. excited about it. Yeah, and I, we both got to read the issue early, and I think I can speak for both of us when I say, well, you kind of just said that, but mm-hmm. uh, we didn't really know the character that well, but it, you still can get into it. Uh, oh, sure. They do a, a good amount of work to catch you up, but also bring you this new character experience which is really cool mm-hmm. um yeah and kang the conqueror is uh i guess it's a huge success we'll find out when the sales numbers come out but that's their first marvel work i suspect yeah. they'll have more coming soon um probably announced in the coming months um if not in the coming weeks they definitely hint at something yeah uh but if you're new to the comic book podcast this is the news review and interview show where we recap the week it's your mm-hmm. weekly dose of info and we start every show with the news, and the biggest news of the week was probably Marvel revealing eight new titles. 
huge. They never do this, by the way. No. Uh, titles that are coming out between December of 2021 and February 2022. Not only yeah. that, they reveal it on a really cool timeline graphic that totally reminds me of like how Marvel Studios usually... The MCU stuff, yeah. Reveals their movies. Yeah, it was funny because this, this news dropped the other day, and I think I texted you and was like, wow, we're set for the news section. <laughs> <laughs> we just need this. This is all we need for the, for the week. Right. If you, a couple weeks ago, it was revealed that Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto were going to be stopping Daredevil. Uh, they were mm-hmm. done with it. But don't worry, the story will continue. And we found out via this press release mm-hmm. that they are continuing on this story in Devil's Reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Avengers Forever, Timeless, X-Lives of Wolverine, or X-Deaths of Wolverine. There's two mm-hmm. titles. Or is it Ten Lives of Wolverine? Ooh. And then we've got She-Hulk, and then Fantastic Four Reckoning War, and then finally Moon Girl. And Devil Dinosaur, all revealed. They revealed this information along with some title cards with creators attached to each one, along with very, very little amount of detail on each one Mm -hmm. to give us a sort of taste. If you, um, actually on Friday, uh, a couple of the writers at AIPT did a little Q&A of sorts where we asked questions and tried to answer them about what these books will be about. Oh sure. Obviously, we don't have the answers, but we tried our best. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to all of these. Honestly, like Devil's Reign sounds like a, a classic street level, you know, uh, Marvel event, but also bringing in characters like Iron Man and the Fantastic Four to fight against. It's almost their own version of Fear State in a little bit, like uh, oh, you know, yeah. in a way, like Mayor sure. Fisk is outlawing superheroes, and they've got to take the fight to his to his agents. Mm-hmm. Avengers Forever has kind of an Exiles vibe with um, like different universe versions of the Avengers coming together. Yeah, I like how it's referring back to Kurt Busiek's classic Avengers Forever uh, series. Mm-hmm. I think it was the 12-issue miniseries, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Aaron Cooter on art is... I just can't wait for Very that. exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then we've got Timeless, a big time travel journey by Jed McKay, Kev Walker, Joe Bennett, Mark Bagley. Like, that's that's a hell of a creative team. Yeah, I wonder too. Like, uh, he's currently doing Infinite Destinies with Black Cat, right? Does this somehow tie into that with the uh, Infinity Gauntlet? Gosh, I hope so because uh, <laughs> Black Cat got done dirty, like in terms of uh, series longevity and getting you know pushed back, and a lot of that is you know COVID stuff. But yeah, uh, man, I, I I hope that this is not that's not the the end of his run with the character because I've really enjoyed that series. Me too. And then you have 10 Lives of Wolverine. Now, the big news on this one is yeah. they're calling it the next era of Krakoa, which right. that's very bold to say next era. That means we are leaving an era. You know, put your tray tables up, folks, because so, <laughs> Wolverine yeah. apparently is a very big part of this next era. And it's talking about his past meeting his future, which could be time travel. It could be... Uh, you know, uh, his kids, you know, who knows? Like, it's a very, it's a very interesting and ominous statement. And we've got She-Hulk getting back to beating the heck out of things. Yeah, I imagine (laughs) they're doing this in part because of the show, I think, is set to debut in the spring sometime. Yeah, it's, I I love the She-Hulk books that focus a little more on the, the, the law aspect. Yeah. So I, you know, the fact that this one's gonna try to, like, tread the line a little bit makes me really happy. Which is what I'm hoping from the show, too. Like, I want the show to be 
Law and Order with a big old monster. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> right, they have to use uh, superheroes' uh, DNA or something to solve a case or something. Yeah, right, exactly. And then also Fantastic Four Reckoning War, which I swear to God, the title treatment reminds me of Darkhawk, but it probably has nothing a to little do bit. with Darkhawk. Look, you put the phrase secret war in a solicit for a Marvel book, like mm-hmm. everyone's going to everyone's going to wonder if that ties into Secret Wars, you know, like the original <laughs> sure. Secret War of the Marvel Universe has been reignited. And it's Dan Slott and Carlos Pacheco and Rachel Stott mm-hmm. on that one. That one's also out in January. And then finally Moon Girl yeah. And Devil Dinosaur out February. We have very little detail on this one. We don't even know who the creators are yet. They do they do mention Marvel Team Up, which makes me wonder if, you know, it's going to be a rotating cast of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur with other superheroes. I'm just happy that, that Moon Girl is go is continuing in some way. I I, yeah. I really adore that series. It's been a bit since uh, she's had her own book, I think. It was great seeing Lunella in uh, Dark Ages this week too. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, which was which which was really fun. Like being the one who basically tells everyone else, like, "Hey, <laughs> we need to fix this." She's the smartest and everyone character. Also, immediate. Yeah, she sh- she rolls up and Reed Richards is like, "Okay, I have to listen to this kid." <laughs> which I, I love that. I love that so much. It is a fun dynamic. Yeah, but yeah, we're really uh, hyped for what Marvel's putting out. I really love how they presented these titles. Yeah, it feels more cohesive to know they have this longer plan Mm -hmm. because in the past they've kind of done this with like all new, all different. But then like quietly didn't ever put out some books that they promised early (laughs) on and stuff. So this makes it feel like they have to commit or else, you know. Well, and, you know, Marvel has been stuck in this kind of uh, holding pattern for a while where like events that were supposed to come out pre-COVID have been pushed back and, you know, certain right. things have dragged on longer than they were meant to just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is also the, the, their way of saying like, okay, we're, we're back on track. This is, this is the next plan. You know what I mean? Like we right. had a plan a couple years ago and then like everyone else's plans, they got a little fucked. Yep. Totally. Speaking of necessity. Oh, you're probably going to need a uh, subscription to Substack very soon. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, Jeff Lemire is the latest creator to announce that they will be moving their creator-owned work to Substack for subscribers only, as well as announcing a new series called Fish Flies, which will come out periodically. Uh, I think every week, actually, a few pages will be coming out. Mm -hmm. Lemire made it very clear that this is extra to the work he's already doing at Dark Horse and Image, but he did reveal there will be an exclusive Black Hammer title released only on Substack, at least in the, like single issue format not necessarily the like they'll ha- probably have a hardcover collection or, or physical collection coming out eventually yeah and he's also uh he's donating uh his, this year's subscription money to rainbow railroad uh, yes which is yeah. awesome in his announcement on substack on the n- newsletter he said he was sort of following in the footsteps of chip Zdarsky, who's also donating mm-hmm. um, all subscription money to rainbow railroad so that's great i'm, I'm glad that lemire brought that up and and yeah. Let us know that it's on his Got mind. That's in front of there, it for sure. There are issues with Substack as far as, you know, letting, you know, trans hate and other vile types of people use it. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but it's better than ignoring it. Right. And, and also, yeah, being able to, to, to pay that positivity forward in a way is, is pretty great. So I think we actually were questioning, like, you know, we've got Jonathan Hickman, James Tynan, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Snyder. Right. So, sort of on Substack. Um, you know, Solidine on Mad, Chip Zdarsky. Now we have Jeff Lemire. Who's next? Uh, 
Who could be the next big? Oh, who, that should be a new TV show. Who's the next was, Substack star? What if it was Alan Moore? Oh my! What God. if he was finally just like fuck yeah? Like I can tell stories without some assholes like <laughs> taking my characters. Oh like, my God, that would be huge. Imagine if he was also like, and I'm continuing the Watchmen universe. <laughs> oh my God, it would be insane. But no, I. I I don't know. I love I love the idea that like there's some people who have been burned, you know, that are that are using this as a way to I mean not, you know, not necessarily that there's any contention behind mm-hmm. their reasons for moving, you know, to Substack, but I I I like the idea of people who uh have a unique take and a vision and wanting to 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 put that directly to the the customer. I mean, it's again, like there's a lot of stuff that a lot of questions we have about the, uh, the, the ins and outs and uh, the physical media of it all and everything. But uh, you know, every week it seems like there's another announcement and another creator making a, a pretty good argument for why they want to embrace this medium. Totally. Like Lemire even went into great detail about how he's using it also to show you his process Process yeah, shots of uh-huh. art, process shots as far as like screenplay or scripts um, to give you mm-hmm. more of an insider look that you just really just don't have any option of getting unless you have like some back matter in a collection. Yeah, and he's still going to be doing books with Image and Dark Horse as well. Speaking of Substack uh, and how we might read these comics, right? they revealed this week that they'll be working with uh, the Panels app to mm. integrate so that folks can read the comics on this other app and somehow... It's not yet live, but it will be in a few weeks, they say. Interesting. When okay. you're subscribed to a bunch of creators, you're, those com- when they re- release comics exclusive to your subscription, mm-hmm. it will just appear on your panel's app so you can read them there. That's great. It's also apparently really easy for the creators themselves to upload as well. Like they're right. trying to make it a, the, 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 they're trying to make it as seamless as possible. I'm sure this is another way too to also like lock it down so people can't just forward emails and oh, give definitely. away the the uh, the paid content. Well, yeah, which was a which was a concern that we had talked about previously. Yeah, I mean, how easy is it to forward to four million friends? Because I know I have four million <laughs> friends in my sure. <laughs> my email. Of course. Also in digital new, comics news realm, uh, Comicsology revealed this week that they are. Having a big change, a revamp, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, the comicsology.com website, as you know it, will soon be gone. And wow. you'll have to go to amazon.com to read Oof. your comics. Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, annoyance on uh, Twitter this week about this. It's not great. I mean, it's it's one of those things we've talked about before where I'm like, okay, and within like a couple of years, we'll have three companies. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> I mean, when Comicsology made their deal with Amazon, I think it was in 2014. Yeah. I immediately thought, well, this is the end of Comixology. <laughs> like, eventually Amazon yeah. will just slurp them up into Amazon, and it will it will no yeah. longer exist as Comixology, which seems to be the direction they're going in here. Right. Like, why would you even have Comixology like logos and stuff if it's an Amazon website? Yeah, it's it's weird, and I, like, I, not to sound all like old man yells at cloud, <laughs> but it, it is just very like the branding of it all is very uh, strange, and it, I. I do feel like you're going to lose something very special. <laughs> sure, yeah. They claim that um, it'll be easier to share your... Con- uh, sorry, not share your content. Um, it'll be faster to download. There'll be like perks as far as like the user interface. Mm-hmm. Also, there'll be like a library style where you can actually read, if you're an Amazon Prime member, read comics for free via this like sharing app 
kind of part of the new way of reading comics. Uh -huh. They also said that these comics will be available on Kindle uh, devices, but aren't most Kindle devices black and white only? Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I know they certainly were at the beginning. I mean, that's fine if you're reading a bunch of old school uh, Ninja Turtles and some manga. Like a <laughs> <laughs> Only those comics will be available on Kindle. Anything right. in color won't. And then our last bit of news, very, I call it sad, depressing news. Uh -huh. Al Ewing took to Twitter and vowed never to work with Joe Bennett again. He did a kind of a long Twitter th uh, thread, multiple uh -huh. tweets, explaining why. And, and um, it's unfortunate, too, because Immortal Hulk number 50 is still set to come out with Joe Bennett's art. I know. Uh, October, I think, 14th or 13th. And, and that book is done, but this that is the last work they'll be working on together. Yeah, and it's this, you know, this follows up off of the, uh, you know, Bennett has been called out multiple times for offensive imagery in his work. Uh, you know, he there was the anti-Semitic imagery that was uh, snuck into Immortal Hulk number 43, which he claimed was an accident. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I uh, Al Ewing mentioned, he's like, I totally get if you don't want to pick up my work with other artists because I didn't, you know, cut kick him to the curb earlier. Right. Right. It's, it's a bummer. And what I do appreciate is that Al Ewing refused to reshare the artwork whenever he mentioned yes. that he wasn't working with them. But he said like an image, some, some more very uh, racist imagery has, uh, has come up that Joe Bennett drew and put on display. And he's just like, uh, yeah, he drew it a few years ago. Now that I've seen it, I, I, I can't, I can't work with him again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I honestly, like, after reading that, I was like, damn, I don't know if I can read Immortal Hulk number 50. I know. Yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'll get around to it. Maybe I'll review it. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. just, it adds this layer that a lot of people won't even know about. But those like us who are really tapped into comics and the, and the comics news scene will, mm -hmm. we'll, 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 we'll take, uh, take it very seriously. We do take it very seriously. Definitely. But uh, hopefully Marvel does something about this and maybe has a statement ready or something in the future. I hope they do. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it takes sometimes for the big two to, 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 to make a comment. I mean, right. they usually just kind of ride it out until people forget, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm glad that Ewing finally uh, really said something and is and is distancing himself from it. But yeah, it, it's a bummer that it didn't happen sooner. It's also a bummer this didn't happen sooner. Our next segment, Top Books yeah. of the Week. Because <laughs> you know when people listen, they're like, Flawless. why can't they start with Top Books of the Week? I right. wanted to start with that. This is where we talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Nathan, what was your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week was Midnighter 2021 Annual Number 1. Uh, this is the grand conclusion to the future state storyline that's been playing out since Superman Worlds at War um, and also in the Action Comics backups. It's by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Michael Avenoming. It is a, it's just an insane front-to-back action book. Um, Midnighter, Apollo, and future Midnighter, Apollo and... Uh, Mr. Miracle uh, are taking the fight to the man who will eventually uh, basically skynet the world <laughs> uh, without going into like huge spoilers. Yeah, it's so much fun. It it kind of uh, resets the Midnighter and Apollo status quo in an interesting way that uh, gives you a little bit of a lead into Superman and the Authority. Um, 
but most of all, it's just it's page after page of some huh. of the wildest yeah. action sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, super beautifully colorful art, um, and there's just something about the gleeful smile on Midnighter's face while he's fighting that I always appreciate. Um, and and wrapped up in that, like all good Midnighter and Apollo stories, is this incredible love story, uh, particularly because this version of Midnighter knows that he's there to save himself from the past. And so as much as he's happy to see Apollo again, he can't uh, stay with him. You know, he comes from a time where Apollo and, and all the other heroes uh, have already lost. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this beautiful moment where he, you know, uh, Apollo and and uh, Mr. Miracle say, well, we're, we're going to help you out. We're going to come with you and finish this. And he's like, I've already told you that you're going to lose, but that's heroes for you <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's a great book. It's a great conclusion to this really fun, very dark, but also like gleefully violent and exciting storyline. Which is what you want in a Midnighter story, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I, like, I want this creative team to keep writing Midnighter. Did you read my review? Because that's like literally how I ended my review of this on it. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, this is proof that we need more of this. Yeah. Yeah, I, no I really kidding. liked it. Uh, it it would have been my second favorite book of the week, but it, something eked it out just a little bit. Okay. Uh, I really like Teen Titans Academy number six by Tim Sheridan and Rafa Sandoval. Oh, yeah. I uh, I went I went back and digged up some old Green Lantern reviews I used to I wrote in like 2014 and Sandoval was killing it then and killing it now. Absolutely. But this issue isn't as epic and bombastic with the mm. the visuals. It's actually quieter. It has our a few of our Teen Titans um, going on a summer break kind of thing where they go to mm-hmm. a lake to hang out and they notice there's nobody around, even though it's a perfect summer day. So they go to town and people are gone there as well. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And I think Sheridan is just doing an incredible job writing these characters, some of which haven't mm-hmm. existed for as long as before he started. So they feel really lived in and real and robust, even though mm-hmm. there's only been a handful of issues with them. And I was just reflecting on like, wow, I mean, Sheridan could kill it on X-Men or something where there's this ensemble cast of characters hopefully new characters too, if you were ever to do it like with this book, because something the character like stitch who has this ridiculous power of creating clothing. um, There are a lot of clever ways that they use these powers in this issue, sometimes Mm -hmm. for comedic purposes. Um, But there's also a love story going on with stitch. That's kind of neat too, that I didn't see coming. Um, And then it all kind of leads towards a supervillain reveal that, I, I don't know. We've kind of probably kind of seen that that reveal before with this character, but mm. it's uh, it's still interesting and it's a two parter, so it's an easy book to get into, and then it all starts yeah. right here for that story arc. Nice, but yeah, I, I, and I also like how Sheridan continues to find interesting ways to tell a teen, like younger person hero story mm-hmm. that ties into what's going on in the real world. Like a summer break is a natural thing that a, a, the Teen Titans would be on. And it's still yeah. summer. And then he also had that the uh, the yearbook issue that was really cool that ended the, the the school year for the character. But what I really want to know about is your favorite <laughs> book of the week. Oh, man. My favorite book of the week was The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, number five, by Ram V and Philip Andrade. Um, 
I, I this is I've actually been kind of dreading talking about this because this book is so huge. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. there's there's so much covered in it about the the beauty of uh the brevity of life. And it's funny because we've seen this, you know, we've seen Layla, the the former goddess of death die and return multiple times over the course of like 60 years and uh, trying to stop the man who will invent mortality. Yeah. And uh, she had or immortality rather. Yeah. Um, and she has, she learns something here. There's, uh, mm. you know, it's so hard to talk about this book without kind of spoiling the, the intricacies of it, but it, there's something really beautiful about, uh, especially if you, if I think this book is going to read incredibly in trade because there's mm, mm-hmm. this builds so perfectly off of where we've seen the characters in previous issues. Um, the, there's a, there's a sense that, uh, Layla has been chasing the wrong lesson the entire time. And, the 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 message of the book is is never more clear than it is here of you know in, enjoy the moment be, be live while you have life and appreciate the appreciate the the little victories and the big sadnesses and everything that kind of uh comes together to form this this tapestry uh I, I I love this book. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'm really looking forward to picking up the hardcover when it comes out. I think I think Layla Star is going to be is going to be like mentioned in the same breath as you know some of the the great uh, uh, Neil Gaiman stories, some of the great Sandman stories. Like wow. I, I think it's going to be one of those that's going to be in the conversation, like those kinds of books where people are just like, well, this is. This is a book about death that is so dead on about why it's important to live. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not doing it justice at all. Please pick up every issue of the many deaths of Layla Star and it's read it in one an sitting if you can. Story. Yeah, yeah. There isn't. Um, there's, there aren't a lot of comics like this about no. life and make and making you like relish and love life more. I, I genuinely. And this is another kind of rule of the, this is the Nathan Simmons promise. If a book makes me cry, it's going to be in the top two for the podcast. And uh, man, this one, this one really got me. I, I adored this book. Comic creators are going to hand you comics now and then kick you in the shin until <laughs> to get on That's the right. show. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a really beautiful ending. Um, like you said with trade too, like I think, it's it will be even stronger if you were to read it all in one sitting um, rather than just this one. I issue. think so. Yeah. Uh, my favorite book of the week was uh, New Mutants by Vida Ayala and Rod Rice. Mm-hmm. I've been reviewing this uh, series here and there for the last few months, but this issue really came together because it blends exciting action sequences with some important uh, political kind of ideas going on on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the action side is uh, some of the New Mutants are on the moon supposedly having like a lesson, but they're really just cleaning off like alien barnacles off of one of their um, <laughs> locations. Uh-huh. But then um, the brood show up and start trying to murder them all. Uh, classic brood. I know, but here's the thing. They shouldn't be murdering anyone because um, that short little brood guy who's a character 
I forget his name all of a sudden. <laughs> He's one of the mutants. He he was in um, mm-hmm. Jason Aaron's uh, Wolverine in the uh, X Men. Oh yeah, I, I know. I I can't think of his name. He either. has like an egg that's supposed to control them. So something's up mm-hmm. there. Anyway, so that that element with the uh, with that character was kind of added a little complexity to it. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just random aliens. But then meanwhile, on Krakoa, there's this uh, crisis of sorts where. It's been ruled out that you can't bring back a clone, but mm. Scout, a.k.a. Gabby, a.k.a. Laura Kinney, a.k.a. Wolverine's sister, who's sure. also the clone of herself, <laughs> died in a, a couple issues ago. And a lot of the characters are really concerned about this, and they want to bring Scout back. Yeah. And via data pages, uh, we get some insight from the five. These are the, the five mutants who can bring um, anybody back as long as they're backed up in the system. Mm-hmm. And it's like a they've written this like on letterhead even to Xavier their stance on this, so it it takes this definitive direction as far as what are we going to do with clones, and I can only imagine this is going to factor into Inferno. This is going to factor into Madeline Pryor and like mm-hmm. can she be brought back even though she's technically a clone of Jean Grey, right? Um, and it's in these intricacies of Krakoa that I think is where everything is far more interesting. It's not yeah. necessarily about, you know, heroes fighting villains or whatever. It's about, like, the politics of this culture where no one can die. Right. That is, like, at the heart and soul of what, what makes X-Men so cool right now. So those kind of things are being tinkered with in this issue. And that was, I think that was why it was my favorite book of the week. Nice. Good choice. Thanks, dude. <laughs> well, you know, uh, what's more important? Yeah, I think I know what's more important. What's that? Our standout. Kapow! Moment of the week. <laughs> This How'd that our... feel? It's been a minute since so you. Since... Yeah, I uh, I let out a lot of oxygen when I said it, and I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm getting my breath back now. <clears throat> sure. <laughs> yeah, this is our favorite moment of all of comics this week. I picked um, a moment from Demon Days Cursed Web by Peach Momoko. This uh, issue has a lot of action actually, and there's one scene where Mystique is fighting Mariko, our main character, and. If you've ever seen one of those classic samurai movies, if there isn't a scene where the hero moves through the other character with their sword so quickly that it takes a couple seconds for the blood to start spraying out, (laughs) that's basically my moment. Um, Mystique gets her arm cut off, and it's this quick movement uh, moment, and she's like in shock that her arm falls off. Uh, it just continues to show how Mariko is like gaining more traction and more abilities and understanding who they are as a hero while they go on this uh, very beautifully drawn adventure. What you got for best moment? Uh, mine was from Midnighter Annual Number One, uh, and it's the scene where the heroes have rolled up at the villain's house, uh, Andre Trojan, and he tells them basically sit down, have some dinner. Um, he says the this paradox uh, you're stuck in has caused me some concern so i came up with a solution and midnighter says he has a solution of his own villain says oh do tell midnighter pulls out a gun shoots him in the head <laughs> and this is halfway through the book and it's when the the like the credits come up i love that that credit moment yeah, yeah so good it made me laugh out loud um and then it's followed by the villain uh poking a <laughs> a napkin into their head into the hole in their head because he can't his brain isn't vulnerable anymore (laughs) Mm -hmm. i just thought that was so funny um but yeah no the 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 one-two punch of midnighter just 
cold shooting this dude in the face and then uh the credits popping up made me laugh really hard because there's still like so much book left to go yeah it was it was surprising to see the credits there so it was definitely purposeful for that moment which made it work so well yeah what also works well for us is these top books for next week our most anticipated comic out next week and oh my lord what'd you pick nathan I picked uh, Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, number one, or Kazar, however you say it. <laughs> I think I know it's that's Kazar. how you say it. I know that's how you say it. Kazar Salad. Um, Kazar Salad. By Zach Thompson and, and Herman Garcia. I'm yes. really looking forward to this one. It looks metal as hell and very weird. Yes, uh, I will actually have an early review on Monday for it. Nice. Um, Matt Lopez on Colors also. Like, this, this book looks so cool. Uh, there's a preview on the site if you want to check it out. Like, very warm yellows. Um, it's like pulpy, indie-looking art for a Marvel book. Um, and yeah, uh, Kazar died and came back to life. And he's going through some stuff here. So that's kind of interesting to explore as well. I think Kazar is a character that has never gotten a great run in, like, decades, right? So it feels like it's his time to shine. It's the year of Kazar. Yeah, it's K- it's it's hot Kazar summer. 2021. That's what they're talking. I hear it. It's in the grapevine. <laughs> in our next segment, judging by the cover of Junior, we're going to talk about our favorite cover art out next week. I went with Michael Cho, and he did a cover for a thing called Batman in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this I think this I think this is a collection. Yeah, it is a collection. Yeah. This one tickled my fancy because it features like every wacky version of Batman from the olden days. From Zebra Batman to Mummy Batman, and they're all kind of surrounding Batman and Robin, and they're like in shock. I don't know why they're surrounding them. Hopefully they're going to be okay. But um, it just gets at the core of the zaniness of classic Batman, which I kind of wish DC like leaned into more. Including Bat Baby swinging into action. Yeah. Do you remember when Grant Morrison brought back that purple Batman Oh, Zurin R. The Batman yes. is Zurin R. Yeah. I want that kind of stuff in my Batman. We should have Josh Williamson on and we'll just, instead of yeah. asking him about his run, we'll be like, this is what you should do. Yeah. You should watch, there's a great episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold called The Super Batman of Planet X. Ooh, okay. That has uh, Batman meeting the Batman of Zurin R, who is voiced by Kevin Conroy. <laughs> it's, oh, it's that's really good. awesome. That's yeah, cool. it's really fun. Just like my cover. What is your favorite cover art out next week? My favorite cover art of the week um, is the, or next week rather, is The Swamp Thing, number seven by uh, Rob V, Mike Perkins. And yeah, this cover rules. Uh, Task Force X is trying to hunt down Swamp Thing, and it's got a real horror EC vibe to it with Mm. the Swamp Thing uh, entangling them with his uh, tendrils, and they're almost emerging from his mouth. And... My favorite little bit uh, to the cover is Parasite absolutely wigging (laughs) out in the background because in the previous issue, he ate bits of Swamp Thing. Like he like tried to absorb bits of Swamp Thing and it started to like or or, uh, either Swamp Thing or the rot. It's not 100 percent clear yet, but something is happening to him and he's not uh, he's not feeling great. I love the Um, swagger of Swamp Thing. He's just like, ain't no thing. Yeah, it's it <laughs> looks like Swamp Thing's about to drop the hottest mixtape of, of 2021, and uh, mm. I just love how like immediately overwhelmed Peacemaker looks as well. It's a it's a great cover. It has me very excited because the first issue of this kind of crossover uh, storyline 
uh, was very much focused on uh, Swamp Thing's like trip through his memories, while mm-hmm. Task Force X was kind of um, assembling in the background mm-hmm. uh, and you know bickering a lot. So this issue it really promises you know Suicide Squad versus Swamp Thing, and I'm very into that. Nice. If Swamp Thing had a rap record, who do yeah. you suppose would be on his hit? You know, first single. Like who would be who would rapping feature? with him? Yeah. Um, hmm, interesting. Uh, Corpse Husband. <laughs> is that a rapper? He's a, he's a streamer who, yeah, who's put out some, some, some rap songs. I have he's no got, idea. like this really, he's got like this really deep voice. He actually sounds like what I think Swamp Thing might sound like. Oh, okay. Perfect. I love it. In a cool way. I think his voice do- is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Talking about cool. Next yeah. up, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Join us, Tuck the Harbinger, out October 27th. Woo! Colin Kelly, Jackson Lanzix, thank you so much for being on the AFT Comics Podcast. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us uh, on your podcast. <laughs> totally, yeah. So you've got Harbinger at Valiant coming out October 27th, FOC October 4th. Now, it was announced last summer, which is a little unconventional for comic books. Did that give you extra lead time to write and, and prepare or tinker with the scripting at all? Well, the lead time on this book was immense. Um, we started uh, in, we, so this book was birthed uh, at New York City Comic Con in 2018. Mm-hmm. We had a uh, like great conversation uh, at that point with uh, Heather Antos, who was the editor who, who came to us and said, hey, do you guys have a take on Harbinger? We've been trying to get into Valiant for years. Uh, just because we were huge fans of the, of the characters there and I sure. wanted to do something and really been poking around the margins at sort of smaller characters and trying to figure out. We have, we have, like, we have a Geomancer pitch that's super cool, right? Yeah. And we're like, oh, that's the kind of thing that we want to do. And we'd just come back from a pitch on that. Uh, like literally, we were just hanging out at the Valiant booth after the pitch and Heather was like, hey, would you guys want to talk about something? I was like, and we were like, what? He was like, what do you think about Peter Stanchek? <laughs> and uh, Harbinger was birthed out of that conversation. Uh, we developed for a while, built out the pitch, got it to a good place over the course of that year, mm-hmm. started working with Robbie, got everything sort of getting into play. We're feeling it about to release in 2020. And it was supposed to be our big release in 2020. Yeah. And obviously the world happened. And so when that uh, went down, it, it uh, actually did in fact give us time to go back, continue to refine the story, revisit the story, look at it. We were just rounding on issue four, which was the end of our first arc. And so it was really a great chance for us to look and say, okay, what are we doing looking forward? Have we changed our plans? Um, the, the further ideas are, are, are very much evolved from where they started just by nature of the book being delayed a full year. Well, and the book is very much about kind of how we stand and what we stand for and how we stand for our marginalized communities and mm-hmm. how you frankly conf- uh, confront, um, you know, issues of authoritarianism and um, police, um, poli- you know, toxic policing. Uh, and the world has really changed from when we started to where we finished. Um, so we absolutely yeah. had to look and make sure that we weren't just, you know, regurgitating the real world but we're rather being able to make a statement on the real world because what was actually going on was almost worse than what we had proposed in (laughs) a filled universe. Yeah. That's, that's always a weird thing when you, you start breaking a story and then 
current events are somehow reminding you that like oh i guess we didn't take this far enough we thought we were you know or like <laughs> you know it, it, oh that's how bad it can get and i think i think it, that's the to really like hard sell and harbinger for a second mm-hmm. for anybody who you know is wondering what this take is about that is really fundamentally the take was we'd been harbinger fans for a long time and harbinger's always had this kind of like punk rock <clears throat> x-men thing going on right Where yeah it's like, for sure are the x-men but toil who rock but like our, our our xavier is a villain and we don't know how to be ourselves so we're not really interested in being superheroes we're mostly interested in fucking around and like it's like a cool uh rebellious reflection on what it means to be a teenager and try to come into your power um sure. but part and parcel with that with every run of this and, and a really a, a huge part of josh from dysart's run which was like both of our favorite like harbinger material mm-hmm. uh was that at some point or another peter stanchik right the, the the hero of this crew or like the, the lead of this crew certainly not the hero i think faith herbert is is effectively the hero of the crew he's the fuck up who they who ended up in charge i think because he was like the white guy i guess i guess that would be he's like their wolverine <laughs> but he's got as many issues as he's a dirtbag cyclops yeah he's dirtbag cyclops so <laughs> My guy, put that on the poster. <laughs> um, That's awesome. He has been promised over and over and over again that he's going to be the, uh, not just like the greatest hero of all mankind, but he's going to be a leader of men. He's going to change the mm. world. Like all the future glimpses you have of, of uh, Valiant pretty fundamentally lock in on like, oh, and then there's Peter Stanchik, who's our Superman. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Because he's a dirtbag Cyclops. Yeah, and, uh, he doesn't even want to be here. <laughs> he, he, exactly, and nobody really wants him to be here. Within like mm-hmm. three, within I think issue one or two of, of his of the of the Josh Dysart run, and certainly within issue one mm-hmm. of the original run, he wipes the mind of his closest female friend to make her love him. Yeah, uh, and, and keeps it up for months or years. Right, like he's a he's not a good dude, right. and he's done really horrible things. And so our first. Uh, conversations with with Heather were like, all right, how do we get rid of that guy? How does that guy become mm. this other guy? And how do you how do you do that without um, straight up just pushing a reset button? Because you're going to need sure. something of a reset button. Right. But how do you do that in such a way that it feels organic and interesting and creates new story? And so uh, you know the, the the premise of the book being what it is, it, it really meant that we had to sit there and spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before 2020 and before we were stuck inside doing this naturally, really examining the world around us, our behavior, how we operate with our friends, how we operate with the women in our lives, how we operate with marginalized communities in our lives. How, like you got to look into yourself and mm-hmm. be like, where am I failing? Where have I, where do I feel like I have fucked up? And how do I then reflect that back onto Peter and find ways to tell this honest story? Cause like, otherwise you're, you're, you're stuck kind of judging him. Mm-hmm. And the book, the book really needs to not judge Peter. It, it needs to, he can be the only person judging himself. And you don't want to validate a, a person who's capable of something like that, right? By going, oh, look, he's the good guy. So we're just going to forget about that. A hundred percent. Book needs yeah. to be about him paying for that and understanding, and not just like suffering for it, but like understanding it and mm-hmm. coming to like it's self-awareness embracing embracing and seeing his privilege and embracing and seeing kind of the damage he's done and not walking away from it not ignoring it but acknowledging it and doing his best to be better which is in a lot of central theme of uh of this first four books is the idea that even if you've made mistakes you can push yourself to be part of the solution uh rather than just on the sidelines or an active part of the problem yeah, you you mentioned uh, you a uh, love for the the Josh Dysart 
uh, run. And but do you, uh, is that your your absolute favorite story arc uh, of of you know previous volumes? Uh, for me, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up on Valiant. I love um, I, I love the original Harbinger run mm. uh, for what it is, and I, and I I think there's a lot of really great stories there. Mm-hmm. Josh's run for, and then I think it gets a little muddled in the middle um, <laughs> with some of the stuff that happens when, when the last time anybody used a definite article in front of Harbinger. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do really love the dice art run because it does not in any way shy away from Peter's behavior being awful. Right. Yeah. Josh knows that it's bad. Mm-hmm. And he knows that it's like the first run, it's, it's unclear. It's like, Oh, this is kind of relatable behavior. Mm-hmm. In Josh's thing is like, this isn't relatable. This guy is a drug addict and he's, he's, uh, he's selfish and he is making decisions that only benefit himself. And sure. the more that you lean into that, the more you, so I, I love that. And then I love the, um, the Rafer Derek Robertson run, uh, mm-hmm. par- partially because Derek is a close friend of ours. We love Derek and we're just like, and, and Rafer's a, a lovely dude. And like, I just love the team that put it together. Mm-hmm. But also it has the indelible image of Peter Stanchik, bearded, sitting in front of Jupiter, like right. meditating away from all, everything and anything, which if there is a prologue image to our book, it's that. So I think there is a certain amount of like, but we owe we owe a debt to that run because it did kind of set Peter on the path that we needed him to be to to, to get where we were going. You'd say that the Harbinger number one, your first issue here, is pretty new new reader friendly, right? Yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, ideally, <laughs> uh, like it, it it is it is with with the understanding that we wanted to make a book that you could read if you were a Harbinger fan and that mm-hmm. would would be you'd you'd be leaning in and seeing the stuff that Peter doesn't. Mm-hmm. Because the book opens with Peter having yeah. kind of a change of heart and a change of mind. Well, I think we can just kind of be direct. He yeah. wakes up without the memories of who he's been. Um, yeah. Gives him the opportunity to rediscover who he's been and rediscover what the Valiant universe looks like, along with a reader who has never experienced it. But at the same time, this is the universe that like Toyo Harada just ejected from, right? This is mm-hmm. the Harbor Foundation has collapsed. You know, this is very much the extension of the existing Valiant universe. So fans of the Valiant universe will be able to look around and say, oh my gosh, this is this, this, this is the next step. This is the next step, absolutely. But new readers will be able to follow Peter's uh, emotional journey as they, yeah. like him, realize who he has been and what he will then need to do in order to grow forward. And we're bringing a new flavor to. Harbinger as a, as a franchise in general, I think, yeah. right? Like, obviously there's the, the first and most obvious is we're making Peter a superhero. And that, that doesn't happen in issue one. That happens a little bit later in the arc, but you know, you can see the suit on the cover, like it's coming. The, <laughs> uh, and and, the, and the, the way of, the way we're doing that and how we're getting there um, is pretty deliberate. Like Valiant isn't a world with a lot of costume superheroes. It has a lot of people with powers, but they aren't like superheroes. Um, Peter's, one of Peter's only friends is Faith Herbert, who is one of the only people who you could fundamentally go like, oh, look, there's a superhero, right. which is fun for us because Jody Hauser is one of our closest friends. I mean, we see Jody all the time. She is just one of our besties. Awesome. And so we were we were at her side the entirety of her Faith run. And so now she's getting to be at our side during her Harbinger run. And we've, we've been consulting with her. And we've been talking to her a lot about how she brought superheroism into the Valiant universe and trying yeah. to find a way to reflect that. Um, so there's that. And then obviously the second way that we're dealing with that is that we have Robbie Rodriguez drawing the book and Robbie makes everything look new. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. no way, like, there's never been 
a Robbie Rodriguez Valiant universe before. Like this is, <laughs> this is a, definitely a new way to look at this universe and a new way to see it. We gave him we gave him the touchstone of punk rock Akira, uh, and he squeed and then just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I texted Dave while I was reading the first issue, and I said, "Man, this is." Uh, and pardon my language, this is Akira as fuck. Like that's exactly like I. Yeah. There's a moment where Peter is. Um, it's when he's he's stopping the 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 projectiles that are coming at him. And the the clothing he's wearing kind of t- uh, curls around him in a very like uh, 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 I don't know very uh, t- uh, Tetsuo esque fashion. Like there's a yeah, it, it's very striking. I love that moment. The colors by Rico Renzi too are just insane. I, I think that's one of the coolest things about working with Robbie is that you also get to work yeah. with Rico and yeah. that, like such a there's such a well willed team at this point mm-hmm. that the two of them get together and. Uh, you just like there's a language going on there that we don't yeah. even step into, you know. That just like we don't talk to color. <laughs> Rico just does color. He he knows what he's doing. That's well, awesome. And, and we had such an important conversation because we really wanted to present Peter's powers in a new way. Oh right? yeah. We didn't want to just have like a thought bubbles around or you know his like his his glint his sting right, which is cool and iconic, but we really wanted to revitalize it. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're working with Robbie, and even in his pencils and his inks, we're like this is fucking awesome, but it's like missing that, like, where's the, where's the magical juice? Like, where's his energy? And like, don't, worry about it. don't worry about it. And then Rico swipes in and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, Hassan Atzman Elhau's lettering is insane. I mean, he's got some of the, 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 the sound effects particularly are super crunchy and there's like, mm. there's uh, there's, he's just doing some really interesting stuff with the narration, the different narration boxes. And and some and some of that is Robbie too. Rob, Robbie, oh, wow. yeah. Robbie built some of the sound design in, and then uh, Hassan just like built over it in these like amazing ways. I, I've been really. Um, I think the biggest credit that Hassan should get on this book is that yeah. something that we'd never seen in a in a comic before, and we weren't sure it was going to work. It, it, it sort of came out of a uh, out of like a typo <laughs> issue, okay. and then we were like, "Oh, this is really cool. Let's lean into this," uh, which was. Which I think was was even I think it was Heather's idea uh, to like she was like I don't know try leaning into this and we were amazed that it worked um, hopefully it did work uh, which is that Peter's internal monologue in the book yeah is in argument with something else um, yes there yes. are blue captions and red captions and the blue captions are Peter explaining the situation that he is in in the moment as if he was thinking it like a traditional superhero voiceover caption mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you know, which we've done plenty on like Green Arrow and Batman and like where it's very natural. Sure. And then in uh, the red captions, there's somebody who's arguing with him, who's helping him reframe these things and who's talking about this in the past tense. Mm-hmm. And those come from, from page one. They are in argument with each other. They're kind of sniping at each other. There's something really interesting going on there. And the tense is different. Um, and so we're going from present tense captioning to past tense captioning, present tense captioning, past tense captioning, yes. and we're going to get two different colors, and it's all over the book, which means it could get oppressive, it could get very, I mean, I, I say this with all love, but it could get very Claremont, like very fast. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> and we really didn't want it to get there, and uh, the lettering just balanced all the elements we were trying to get there so well, and, yeah. and so uh, effortlessly, or it feels effortless, I'm sure it's full of effort, um, that you end up I think flowing along with the book. Um, I agree. Yeah, so- <laughs> having having read it last night, like I absolutely agree. Speaking of that, like collaboration between those narration boxes, 
What is your collaboration like in your duo? We don't normally see a writer duo. I mean, we've seen some, but, you know, I think you're one of the most prominent right now in comedy. Yeah. We and we're definitely one of the rare ones that it's not a, it's not a one-off. Um, Jack and I have been writing together for uh, 11 years, going on our 12th year at this point. Um, we met in college where we were arch enemies. Okay, that's not fair. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's kind of, we were arch enemies on his side. Yeah, I, I, I like, wanted to be his friend, like a, like a friendly dog. He was like, oh. get this dog away from me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I hated his guts, partially because he was so cool and smart. Um, I know, but. Uh, but eventually we kind of realized in each other uh, this like fundamental talent um, mm -hmm. we really kind of countered each other in a really cool way. Um, I was writing very, very big stuff, um, very uh, explosion. I like to call it romance explosions. It was, it was explosions making love to each other. Um, they, they were like, they were like, they were like Michael Bay goes to sleep and he like dreams about Colin Kelly. <laughs> like, and and I've never read anything like it. And I was writing these like, I, I, you know, we both grew up like poor and like single mothers and like we, we, we were very, very similar upbringings. Uh -huh. um, but he had used it to really spark his imagination very large. And I used it to be like, well, I can only produce things that I can do in like a black box theater. So I'm going to write really, really small, really, really character oriented stuff. And yeah. we met and we swapped scripts and he was like, oh my God, these characters. And I was like, oh my God, these explosions. <laughs> I'm really, I was like, oh my God, these like sci-fi concepts. Cause Colin's just really, really good at like concept. Really. He's great at it. And so we we're like, hey, like let's smush. Let's figure we, we went on a road trip and we, we just up. we were literally just geeking out about like wouldn't it be cool if they made a Frank Miller inspired Wolverine movie? Back before they'd done that. Right. And we were like, wouldn't that be cool? They'll never do that. We should write our own. And so we wrote a take on a samurai movie, um, because we both grew up on like Musashi Miyamoto and Vagabond, and like we were just like, this would be badass. Mm -hmm. Must be Japanese. Like, we're like, let's let's try a version of this. And we did it and it blew up um for us it started our career it's it, it got us you know we, we developed a movie at fox for like a year and it sort of forced us into a partnership we were like okay cool i guess we're partners now like we're, yeah. we're we're better together than we are alone we're in our early 20s nobody gets shit about us i put out one comic called freak show that you know had, had published like two thousand copies and that was it mm -hmm. and i was like i don't you know we didn't know what was next and when we had a chance to start writing comics we just brought that same energy uh, into there with with Hacktivist of Boom and then into Joyride and then and then it just started to spiral. Um, and after a while, we realized that sort of without thinking about it, we'd become a writing partnership in, in, in comics, an industry where, to be truthful, it's it's not um, it's not common for two reasons, right? Not common because writing partnerships are hard, and it's not common because the pay is just not there. So when you work in a partnership and half your money is going to the other guy, you really have to either work at volume or be diversified in a bunch of different mediums. So that you could, so that you know, you can you can do it. And fortunately, we are. We 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 function in Hollywood, and we just finished a novel and like we're a podcast. We're just all over the place. Luckily, we're like, well, if you can only function at volume, or you can only function in multiple um, spheres, then that's the only way you can survive. So we we're like, well, then we should probably do both. Let's just do both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so our collab uh, comes out of that. It just comes from us um, having done it for a very long time, and our effort effectively rolls down. To, and then we've talked about this a lot in interviews. Um, so if, if people do want to go deeper in this, Google us, because we talked about it a lot. But the uh, the basic of it is Colin and I do uh, all the outlining together, every concept, every story. Harbinger is a great example. The Harbinger came out of a lunch that we had after we talked to Heather. He and I went out to lunch on a pier in New York City and sat there for several hours and just ate and geeked out and talked. And drank cocktails. And drank cocktails. <laughs> and just talked to each other about what we love about this character until we had an idea that we thought was interesting. And 
that's really what it comes down to. We argue about stuff until we find something that both of us like. And if we both like it, then we're like, this is probably worth doing. And then we take, <laughs> and then we take that, break it in half, and every script is half Colin, half me, with mm-hmm. rewriting on either side to like make it flow. But we don't need yeah. to do that much anymore. Like we're kind of the same writer, so it, I, 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 I dare anybody to find the scenes. Like this is not. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pretty. We're, we're pretty. Simple. It sounds like we could expect you guys to be writing together for for a long time. Then. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're a. We we we're gonna start a company this year. Like we're we're oh, cool. We're, nice. We're built into we're built into each other. Yeah, we are irrevocably uh, irrevocably irrevocably yeah. irrevocably uh, we are irrevocably attached, um, which is fine also because he's my best friend. Uh, and they generally say like, don't don't work with your best friend. But to them, I say farts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very lucky that, that that's worked out for us. Um, but it's also it's also great because it means even when you're in the trenches, I'm sure you've interviewed so many writers where it's like, look, writer's block is such a challenge. You know, self-doubt is such a challenge. And the cool thing here is like, there's no such thing as writer's block because if you don't have an idea, the other guy probably does. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason, real reason for self-doubt because you have an immediate sounding board that you absolutely trust. So you're like, is this a bad idea? And then it's yeah. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. You can be honest with each other too. Yeah. And we, 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 we live very nearby. Like, you know, we live 10 minutes from each other. Our, our, our wives are very good friends. Like we have a, we have very integrated lives so it, it helps because it means that the work can just kind of happen naturally at pace you know, we can yeah. we can go on vacation in a vacation house and <laughs> be like oh well, we've got a 9 a.m podcast let's do it if like, there's any lawyers listening they're going to be asking you about your wills soon <laughs> <laughs> you're the same lawyer yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Oh my God. It's all settled. Check it out. It all goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes to college. <laughs> yeah, so uh, some people daydream about having mind reading powers, but after working on the Harbinger, what is your take on whether that's a good or a bad thing to have? Oh, it, it sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it not it not only exposes you to I mean not just just think about it on a surface level like sure. yeah yeah of, of hearing everyone's thoughts I mean people are fucked so like hearing every even if that's not necessarily what they would act on people oftentimes think the worst possible version so just having that kind of negativity constantly pouring into your head would be hot garbage I mean especially if you're a person who doesn't have a person who has a, even a normal amount of social anxiety mm, true not mention somebody with real social anxiety like peter Stan- I mean, right same buddy like like the the amount of anxiety that peter stanchik lives with as somebody with a clinical anxiety then the idea is like oh yeah cool cool cool. on top of that know what everyone around you is thinking all the time and they all no fuck this ever <laughs> and they have low opinion of you it's like oh right. bad, fucking bad news that's gonna really wreck you um but the per- other thing the, the challenges, and I think it's, you know, a challenge for a lot of people would be the power that comes with it. Yeah. And like right. that's, yeah. control is always, you know, you're in high, you're in, you're in grade school and you're thinking like, what power would you want? And I'm always like, I was always like mind control. I could control anyone I wanted. I can always right. get my way. And you're like, no, that road that leads to tyranny. That is... Right become just absolutely the worst but from your own perspective you're going to be just following your own instincts so like having to fight that urge to let yourself follow the choices that you naturally want to which leads you to become the most toxic person imaginable 
is a real dangerous slippery slope because who's gonna who's gonna tell you no? Sure. Yeah. I uh, just so happened to watch What Women Want the other day for the first time in 20 years, and oh boy! Apparently, it was it was prepped for this interview. <laughs> Didn't you text me and you were like, "Everyone in this movie would be arrested now" or something like that? I think I did. I think I did. No, no doubt in my mind. It's funny. We have a we have a project uh, that we're working on right now that's you know, like a different medium mm-hmm. that is very much predicated, and it's and it. it, it it's I think I've been working on it for eight years. So like it it really predates our time on Harbinger. Wow. Yeah. Um, very, very different in tone. It's not a superhero thing at all. Um, but it does have a, a superpower element. And part of that has always part of the story of it and, and the concept of it and the, and the breakdown of it has always been uh that having a superpower is much more interesting if it is a uh deep complication on your life that if it does make things convenient, makes things convenient in the way that privilege does, where other people can kind of look at you and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, technically you did that. Really, like your superpower did that. <laughs> right. like, you, like, yeah, but like think about your context here. And like the, the more that superpowers can become a reflection, because superpowers don't exist in our world. I hate that I have to say that. I'm gonna knock I know, wood. it sucks. <laughs> but like they, but because we have to imagine because we have to imagine them when we're mm. writing into stories because the audience has to take that genre leap, that buy-in of, Oh, that person can fly. Oh, that person can shoot lasers out of their eyes. Oh, that person can mind control. Um, the more that you can turn the superpower, certainly this is our, our perspectives. Like yeah. The more you can power into something that feels uh, relatable in a way, like it doesn't need to be fully relatable. No one's going to be able to relate to shooting lasers out of their eyes on a natural level. But what they will be able to relate to is like maybe the emotion behind that. Like, I think Cyclops is always the most relatable when he loses his shit and just, you know, opens up the visor and blasts, right? Because right. everybody knows what it's like to lose their shit. Mm-hmm. That's just like, everybody's had that experience. Everybody's had that experience of wanting to control the minds of people around you, if only just because everything would be easier that way. You, you know, in your worst moment, you're like, oh, I just wish you would do what I say. Like, Everybody knows what that's like. So if you can turn that part of the story into the real headline of the story, then superpower, which is always, I think, what Harbinger has been great at, just in general, by the way, that's what makes Harbinger different than X-Men, is that it really is about that. It's like, what would, what would it happen if you actually had these powers? The more that you can make that a relatable thing, I think the more that a wider audience can relate. I hope. I say this as, as guys who, yeah. I mean, were sold a, a lick on a book before Kang number one. So we're we're new to anybody actually buying our books. <laughs> this stuff becomes relatable and, and cool. And I crazy. saw people on Twitter this morning talking about how Superman probably is really bad at fighting because he does he's never had to actually have any skill. And then I thought, based on what you just said, I I thought maybe we should have a Superman comic where he's like trying to do karate or something. He's in a class and he's just really yeah. bad. Why you just, now we're about to, I'm, I'm, I'm texting our DC editor right now. <laughs> Steven Seagal versus Superman. Oh my God. It writes itself. He goes to a red sun. Let's see who trains him. Well, are, aren't they doing this right now with war world? Isn't this like the premise of the current uh, Superman books? Damn. At least yeah. like they're, they're you're, you're right. Yeah. Like, that's the fun of it is that what you want is, uh, oh, now you ask me who trained him? I don't know who trained him. <laughs> I mean, Batman has, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce has to train Bruce, him. Yeah, right. flies Bruce to a red star planet and uh, they together they train, uh, they uh, Dragon Ball Z style. There you go. They train on a heavy gravity planet and. Oh, oh now, ooh. Now this is great. Yeah, but they go into the time chamber, they come back, they both got beards. <laughs> now, now, go. we can go super, now we can go Superman Saiyan. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> they, they have a, a 
they have done several runs here and there where Clark has joined like boxing clubs or fight clubs. That's been, that's been like a big recurring thing for Clark over the years. Is like every once in a while he becomes a boxer. Bibbo's got to <laughs> teach him. Bibbo's got to train. Oh that's my what, god, that's, that's the story right there. <laughs> Speaking of like legacy characters, uh, Harbinger was created, I think, in 1992. Uh, what makes him so timeless? Why do you think the character's still around and kicking? I mean, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, and it's his humanity. Like, no matter what age you are, no matter what decade you're in, the idea of being able to get exactly what you want and how toxic that becomes. I mean, it's the monkey's paw. It's one of the oldest stories around. You finally achieve it, mm-hmm. and, only, and it only turns out to hurt people. Um, and I think that's a story that is, you know, effectively it's about getting what you want and everything going suddenly bad because of it. Um, and I think, in fact, I believe, I feel that it's even more relevant now, however, because we exist in an age where it is not unheard of for your male whiteness to be examined. Um, you know, if you were to come in with this story, um, you know, I don't know, 30 years ago, and you were like, well, perhaps white men are the problem. There would be a lot of people who say, no, our media. I mean, there still are. There still are. And I say, please read a Harbinger. Um, but like, or, or just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. But I mean, but I think the thing that, I think that's very true. I think it's, what's interesting about our book in the context of that, just as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting because that's kind of the thing we didn't do. Is like, we're making a point about like trying to change his character, trying to, mm-hmm. to, to build him out a little bit and trying to, to give him a, a more optimistic meaning. But even there, and I can't say more than this without spoiling the book, but even there, a big part of the question is, okay, great, you've given yourself, like, the, the world has given you a second chance. You have developed a, a uh, this, this new opportunity to be a new kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to be in the wake of that? And what has it cost to get you there? And mm-hmm. what is becoming, uh, what is coming in the wake of that? And I think in, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people sort of do the work and then go, Great, cool. I'm done. I'm fixed. Right. Work is a daily effort for for anybody, for addicts, for alcoholics, for people with anxiety, for people with mental illness in any way. Work happens every day, and you find your way through that stuff. And Mm -hmm. you are not going to be perfect, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to hurt people. And that's not that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person, though it does mean that you can't hide behind. Oh well, I did the work. You have to always be examining, and always be looking, and always be trying to understand, um, and that that comes part and parcel with having that power and having that privilege. And uh, the Peter learning that story uh, is very much, I think, a modern monkey's paw. It's <laughs> it's him looking at that and saying, "Am I truly? Am I on the precipice of a second chance, or am I just making the same mistakes again?" In, 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 in fancier and more colorful clothes. Sure. And I think that's the question we're going to be constantly asking Peter um, as long as we get to, you know, have the privilege of writing this character. Yeah, the, um, I mean, a lot like Harbinger, it's, uh, kind, of, kind of switching gears here a little bit, the uh, the first issue of Kang the Conqueror and, and Harbinger both have to reintroduce a character for new and old fans. And, mm-hmm. you know, Kang especially has decades of, <laughs> contradictory history uh, how do you approach that unique process of catching fans up but also like entertaining longtime readers i think uh part of it is doing the research 
-hmm. if you haven't in this particular case fortunately these are characters we were huge fans of so um, the research is 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 our lives but i think it's really being able to know when you're playing with this particular part of the process like kang is is a great example where that is a book where we're starting you from a new space if you've never heard of Nathaniel Richards before, no problem, man. We're going to introduce you to Nathaniel Richards on page two. Yeah, get you in on him. We're going to get we're going to get you to care about this kid, and then we're going to take this kid on a journey. And that's every story you've ever read. So mm-hmm. you want to, it's this story is approachable as Star Wars, even though it's like a big crazy time travel thing. We're, we're just going to get you in on 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 Nathaniel, and then everything's going to take you from there. But if you're a fan. By page eight or nine, I'm going to be showing you this page from Avengers number six and this page from Fantastic Four number eight. Speaking out so hard. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and and that's that's our whole thing is us being like, when we pitched it, it was like, well, you can't do, this is our first Marvel book, but just understand that you can't tell a Kang story without the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and right. Doctor Doom. Yeah. And and we're like, well, they'll never let us do this because we're, we're pitching our first book and we're asking for all the toys. Right. And then they were like, right that's what kang needs so have all the toys and it was as blue our minds there was a concept of like okay well we're gonna have to tell a story that dances around the edges here and very specifically we're told by um you know editorial that was like mm-hmm. no you can't change anything what happened needs to have happened which means like yeah okay we gotta go straight up the middle like he fights the fantastic four he fights the avengers like this sure. is life and then the challenge becomes, how do we tell the stories in the margins of those? How do we tell the stories that connects it? And how do we reframe those experiences, which we do know, into something that is humanistic and, and genuine? And I think to answer your question, that's how you do it, is hmm. you look, you know, you take away all of the, the continuity and the character, or not the character, but like the explosions, the romance explosions, right? The spaceships and everything. You look at just who the character is, focus in on that. Mm-hmm. And if you can make a character that someone can fall in love with, then they will follow you anywhere. Um, it doesn't matter how many dinosaurs you throw at them uh, or, you know, or super villains empowered by uh, psionic abilities. If you're following a person, then then your audience will come with I was saying to Nathan earlier before this podcast, where we sort of started recording, like there's a part in Harbinger where we get kind of caught up on the character. And I so appreciated it because I'm not like, you know, well, obviously we're not reading Harbinger right now. It hasn't come out in a while. Um, do you, is, there, is, is there a right time to sort of give the reader that info or do you try to spread it out? Like, how do you, how do you approach it? In, in, in Harbinger, it made a lot of sense to do it later. Uh, like we did it about as late in the book as we could. That, that scene is quite literally cut off by action because it was like, we put it as far to the back of the book as we could. Sure. And then, the, and then the story needed to happen. Um, but I think at some point you do need to know that your reader needs that information. But if you reader, if you give that reader your, that information on page one, mm-hmm. uh, you are walking the reader into a textbook and the reader is there for a character story in our, in our case. Yeah. We hope that if, if you pick up the book from us, then you know you're getting a book that is focused primarily on character. Um, we're we're going to be interested in, in telling the drama and telling the character. Mm-hmm. So you have gotten to that stage of, of, of the story. You, you've opened the book. We want you to be greeted with character, with ideas, with concept, with the meat of the story. And then at the right time, ideally, yes, somewhere in issue one, we're going to tell you, okay, you don't know what a Kang the Conqueror is? Here's the basics. <laughs> sure. you know who, who uh, Peter is or who, who Peter Stanchik is? Here are the basics. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, you know, Harbinger and Kang are, are interesting parallels insofar as they are 
um, both stories about young men relearning themselves. Yeah. Uh, or in the case of, I guess, Daniel learning himself. Uh, well, I guess relearning if you take Young Avengers as canon. Anyway, uh, they which we which, which we do which, which we do. <laughs> I, well, I'll say this a million times. Hang number one is a direct sequel to Young Avengers number six. Um, but uh, later on this month, uh, we have a, uh, on uh, I guess on the 15th, uh, we have a story coming out in Batman Urban Legends number seven. It's a 30 page Batman Beyond story. Uh, Terry McGinnis does not need to be told who he is. Terry McGinnis knows who he is. He knows what, sure. it's, like to, he knows what it's like to be Terry. Um, so for new readers, how do you get them involved without doing a, this is Terry McGinnis. He was found by the Batman. He became, (laughs) how do you do do a version of it that doesn't lead with that, that rather leads with character and leads with mood and leads with energy Mm -hmm. and and invites the reader in and then finds that way. And I think you'll find in that story, um, which is anchored all around the last conversation that Bruce and Terry will ever have. Bruce finds a way to do that for us in a way that is, revelatory to Terry. So mm-hmm. it still matters to Terry. I think that's, maybe that's the key. I'm, I'm talking myself into this idea. <laughs> uh, seeing the process, right? Yeah, now. this is literally the process. Oh my God, <laughs> it's how they make the sausage. Good. Uh, no, this is my, uh, this is it. Uh, the, the exposition only matters if it matters to the character. Mm-hmm. So it works if you can make it matter to the character. It doesn't need to be telling the character something that they don't know, but it does need to be, um, uh, reframing that information in a way that the character doesn't have. So at some point or another, that, that exposition, if the unless the character is telling it in a really cool way mm-hmm. that is good for the audience, you want it to matter to the character. Well, sure. and I, that's something that you can see really in, 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 in how that juxtaposes against Kang, where mm-hmm. Daniel is experiencing these things. Um, you know, he is on the journey with his older self, and we are able to show you these beats in his life, but the captioning doesn't need to be spelling it out because we can see it. Right, show don't tell right, uh, is always right. your watchword. Um, so in Kang, we let the we're able to let the captioning be poetic and exploratory and really kind of engage in the kind of the the art of it while mm-hmm. the visuals are doing the heavy lifting, as opposed to Harbinger, where it's literally let's sit down and eat tacos and let me tell you your fucking life. Uh, right. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> there are tacos in are the Harbinger number there. one. Erase it from your memory if you don't want that spoiled. Yeah, spoiler alert, hashtag big moment. It is always obnoxious when like there's a supporting character that says something so outlandish that's only for the reader or audience. It's, uh, a, it's a tough needle to thread for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, we gotta write, you gotta write that scene a lot. In, in, in film, it's called Irving the Explainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it a lot when like, uh, you see it a lot in horror movies where the, the you know, the exorcist shows up and goes, whoa, so what you have is a full level... <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh fuck, thanks, dude. Or the, or the campfire scene in every slasher. <laughs> First, like studio horror film, like three or four years ago. We don't do a lot of horror, um, mm-hmm. but we, we sold a, a horror film and we we wrote it. And it was, um, we got back off the first draft. We got back this this note that was like, because we tried to write a horror movie without like trying to like write quote unquote a horror movie. We were we, like, what a movie that we thought yeah. would be. It had some scary stuff in it. We wrote House of Thieves. Yeah, we we wrote that. We 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 were writing something a lot closer to The Shining than we were to like Paranormal Activity. And we, okay. but we were writing it for the producers of Paranormal Activity. So they they hit us back and they were like, 
hey, so uh, have you like watched any of these movies? Do you like, <laughs> can, can, can you, like understand the tropes here a little? Yeah. And we went, we did a, a study of it and broke it all down and realized that this character, this this exorcist who shows up on page thirty and then shows up again on page seventy five normally to die, is in every horror movie. Mm. He is on huh. all forms. By and large, is an exorcist. Is sometimes a demonologist. Is sometimes a like ghost expert or a medium. But basically, always shows up on page thirty of your favorite horror movie to tell you the rules. Then disappears. Tells the tells he's D'Onofrio and Sinister. He's D'Onofrio and Sinister. (laughs) (laughs) D'Onofrio and Sinister is actually a a textbook example. Yeah, Um, which I say with with all love to uh, to Cargo, who's a friend of ours and who sure on that movie. Um, like it's he that movie does the the best version sinister I I think, the movie. Of, yeah. of, of like the modern horror formula that yeah. I I think it's, it's that movie in the first Conjuring movie because the first Conjuring movie uh. hates the modern horror formula and then also puts a, a a a marriage drama into the middle of it. Yes. So like the family is going through the modern horror movie, but the the uh, the what is it? I can't remember the Warrens. The Warrens are going through like just a story about marriage. So there's actually like a character story at the heart of it. It's really nice. Well, and I think it's for, especially for horror, you know, your first act, you get to be confused and you don't know what's going on as that pressure builds. Then you get the rules and now you have expectation. And then as that, so that you can start subverting that expectation, which undermines the characters. Sure. The fucking rules of the Babadook don't matter. <laughs> None of this matters. The point is there's something in the house. And the rules it, of the Babadook. I could see that comic right now. <laughs> Babadook rules. It's the new. It's coming to ABC Family. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Babadook rules. That's good. But anyway, you kind of get it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, I love that. I I have a I I also have a horror movie podcast, and my co-host and I were talking about how um, in the original Halloween, Doctor Loomis is both the, the most uh, helpless and the most integral part of of explaining Michael Myers, in that he doesn't explain anything. It's just you buy into the fact that this is the worst thing that's ever happened, so we have to be careful, you know. Yeah, I, I, I love I, I love how the new one approached that too, with the podcast rolling in and being like, yes, who is Michael Myers, and everybody being like pure evil. Get yeah. away! You yeah. don't don't tr- stop trying to understand this thing. Please leave my fortified compound. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I did this? <laughs> Put him in the middle of this archaic courtyard just so like no one could fuck with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, man, I I'm so excited for the new one. Anyway, total yeah. tangent. <laughs> no, me, me, me too. I got I got to work on that movie my day job. I cut movie oh. trip as a day job. Oh wow. So I, I got to work on that one. I cut a bunch of like digital spots for it. So I I've, I've seen that movie. I, I have like an the beautiful thing about doing this, like the, the, the job can be a pain in the butt a lot, yeah. but you have pristine cuts of like, oh. like beautiful prints of yeah. great movies. Wow, um, oh, man. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really excited about the, the Batman Beyond story. Is that a, is that a property that you guys have a lot of love for? Uh, how, how did that project come about? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, it's it's one of those things that, you know, when Jack and I were becoming friends, we were bonding over a lot of animation. Uh, and yeah. That, I mean, if you don't love Batman Beyond, like, you are not a child of the 90s. Um, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's stupendous. And it, like, mm-hmm. takes a hero that you think you know the context for and upends it. And then you give it this, like, you know, Bruce Tim, like, you, you elevate and you get to go back to this red sky Gotham and, you know, mm-hmm. really kind of tell this new kind of story with this kind of hero who's much closer to us snarky kind of neat 
you know, like has anger issues, um, is trying to live up to a legacy that is really complicated and hard for him to embrace. Um, like he is in a way that even, you know, in a way that Bruce never is. And even a lot of the Robins, because they have this really strong father figure. Terry has this very complicated relationship with his, both his real father and his father figure in a way that's like very relatable. Um, mm-hmm. Plus he has all these fucking rad tools and he slaps and he can dance. And, <laughs> and his girlfriend is he's, he's got, he's got a lot of his own energy. Uh, we had become fans of him. Uh, the, the guy who introduced Colin is going to be David Server, who's actually in the other room hilariously. Uh, oh, at wow. Vision House. Uh, but Dave and we wrote Freak Show, my first comic, together. Um, Dave's a really cool dude who loves animation and loves the old DC animation. So he uh, used to do these, and I missed all of it as a kid. So uh, we used to, in college, we would get together and, and on his little TV watch. Superman the Animated Series, Batman the Animated Series, Justice League Unlimited, and Batman Beyond. Awesome. Um, so that was my first uh, uh, brush with a lot of that was literally while I was becoming friends with Colin. Um, so it was a, it, it's sort of a big part of our origin story, weirdly. Uh, it came about entirely because of Dave Wielgos, an editor at DC Comics, mm-hmm. who was has been on everything we've done at DC pretty much. Um, he was... Uh, he was the assistant editor, like the, the junior assistant editor on Batman and Robin, Batman and Robin Eternal, which was our first book with DC. And yeah. we had that amazing team. Um, and we kind of just started falling in love with him. And he started falling in love with us. We were just, we vibe, man. We all get along amazingly. Yeah, he gets what we do. And I, I think we get what he likes. And we just, we found a really solid partnership but he didn't have a lot of power in fact he was an assistant so we did a lot of uh, inventory issues with him and then he started being he, i'm sorry i gotta put this out he, he they gave him inventories they were just like hey make some inventories dave like in case anybody's ever late and he came to us he was like hey guys write a batman story and we wrote this sort of catholic oh. batman story and he was like great guys uh i got kelly jones to draw it oh my god we have a we have a we have a thirty page Kelly Jones Batman story that I don't know if it's ever going to get published. Oh my god! We six oh years ago god. is or four years ago. Time is weird. Um, <laughs> it is. I mean, Kelly Jones is like one of the reasons I do comics. Like like oh, seasons yeah. of Miss. One of the best, absolutely. And his Batman is there's nobody there's nothing it's, like it. It's all it's all inky black it's, and spot and, and and white spotting and it's a Cthulhu story. I Batman. just rebought a Nightfall collection because it had a Kelly Jones cover that I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, <laughs> so like, but that was but Dave was just doing that thanklessly in the background. We did two issues of Nightwing with Jorge Corona. We did uh-huh. uh, we did an issue of Detective Comics with Min, uh, Minkyu Sung. It was Minkyu Jun, um, who's now over at Marvel. Uh, we did a Batwoman. No, that was the that, that was, was the, that was the tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we we did we did a flash. We did all these like weird inventory issues. Yeah. And Dave was just kind of in the background. He was doing this with a bunch of people. He was he was doing it with Phil Kennedy Johnson, and he was like a bunch of people who would become talent at DC right now. Sure. We're getting brought into it by doing these inventories, and at some point, Dave had just accumulated this beautiful stack of inventory issues that he had created with all this great emotion. <laughs> Dave is a squirrel. Yeah. An art, an art. Yeah, dude. He collects amazing talent and smushes them together into beautiful content. That's it's, awesome. And every, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, he, <laughs> and, and so he had, uh, a, he'd been looking to do something with us for quite some time because we did Green Arrow together and we all got um, sort of unceremonious. I've been blunt about this. We've got unceremoniously canceled on that mm. book 
uh, you know, just as we were getting started when we thought we were going to be doing a really long run. Right. Uh, and Dave was one of our editors on that. It was, it was a big part of that, that process and was super devastated by it, just like us. And so we've been trying to find that thing that was like, all right, let's get our feet under us. Mm-hmm. And do, he, he sort of he used to do the anthologies. He made a rule. He was like, I'm going to stop inviting you guys to the anthologies, not because I don't want to do it with you, but because I, I the, the next time I offer you something, I want it to be something that's like, real for a long time um because we were just getting these 10 page jobs from him and he finally and not like we were doing you know he was just we were just doing star trek and and, and harbinger but like he was like i really want to give you guys this big something else and he goes uh and finally he came across uh during the middle of pandemic like after the pandemic was on the back he came out and he said hey uh do you want to do we're doing this batman over legends thing we've got some space around it. We pitch me on Batman Beyond. Um, we don't really know. We, we, we just, we want to have a cool story, cool Batman Beyond story. See what you do. Sure. And you said, Bat- what's that? What is Batman Beyond? <laughs> and and we, we geeked out for a second and then we pitched him. We, we worked together for a couple of weeks. We did our thing and we pitched him uh, this 30 pager that was like, what if we completely change the Batman Beyond status quo? What if we like Ooh. do really feels like a launch point for something new. So if somebody really likes it, then maybe it starts something else, but like, it's also just like a really good 30 pager. Awesome. And we thought it was going to be kind of a big, big swing and maybe too weird and maybe too much of a status quo change. I mean, literally we're killing Bruce Wayne on page two. Right. Yeah. Nice. Fucking hashtag spoiler alert. Yeah. It's in the solicits. <laughs> it's in the solicit. Uh, Put that on like, your resume. Know, killed Batman. Yeah. <laughs> every other guy that's ever written Batman. Uh, and then we were like, you know, what if we do this thing? And then he got Max Dunbar and Sebastian Chang and Aditya Bidikar and put together this just absolutely killer 30 pager. Um, we're so honored to be a part of it. We're really excited. Uh, I hope people like it. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And there is a fun surprise on the last page. So my God, so many surprise on the last page. (laughs) Can't wait. Well, beyond Batman Beyond, are there any other comics you're working on right now that you'd like to talk about? What are we working on that we'd like to talk about? We uh, can't talk about that. We yeah, we there's there's <laughs> wait, do you can you guys read each other's minds? I saw that. I saw that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you there's a big one we can't talk about. Okay. Uh, obviously Kang's going really well, Batman Beyond, uh, that 30 page is coming, and then uh, we got that. Uh, Star Trek year five is just wrapping up now. Yeah. Um, has been honestly life-changing for us. I think a lot of our opportunities on Kang, on Batman, a lot of that I think came out of, I think to some degree Harbinger, because we were a year in, I think when we started that, came has kept, come out of Star Trek Year 5. Um, it was the book that after a lot of time of kind of like working in um, in the margins at DC, it was the first time somebody had given us the like, reins. Yeah, like a space to actually run our own thing and sure. we got to run it like a room and got to work with these great writers um, friends of ours like Jody Hauser and Brandon Easton and Jim McCann and, and eventually Paul Cornell, who's like a god to me, and who yeah. and who, like a lot of people, like him and John King and Chris Cantwell, all really backed the book in ways that nobody had ever backed our stuff before. I really started talking about it, became fans of it. I think people really resonated with our take on Star Trek, which makes sense because we're giant Star Trek big, nerds. Big old nerds. Um, so I'm glad we did it, I, we did justice to it. Um, but that's wrapping up now. Issue 25 will be done or be out in a month. Um, cool. And then that'll be what we that'll be that. What we can talk about a little bit is we have a project that we're going to be teasing out into October. 
Um, oh, yeah. And I don't want to talk about it too much because it's going to be our first real crowdfunding campaign. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, cool. It's a book that we've kind of been working on in the edges. Um, how much can we talk about? I mean, we can talk about it. We can talk about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we wow. can talk about it because Dalen started talking about it yesterday. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a book that we've been putting together with uh, Dalen Ogden, who is uh, a, a young artist who we've been friends with just forever because we were doing cons together. And yeah, we met more. them. We met them in an artist alley and we were just enormous fans. I think Colin found them and was like, you got to check this out. Yeah. It's just fucking awesome work. Uh, and one of the kind of um, kind of the OC that they run with is this kind of bloody mouth skull, wolf skulled woman of the woods. And we're like, this image is so evocative and so cool. And Dalen loves wolves. Um, she's got an incredibly dark Gothic aesthetic, even though like, you know, just incredibly bubbly and like the kindest, sweetest person. Uh, and we were like, well, who, what, what, what this? And just by becoming friends with her, we started to really hear um, what her, what her story is and who the world was behind this character. And we started to fall in love with it. And um, it's a really complicated story called Wolf. Um, which is a period story kind of taking place right around the Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, about a young girl who's finding herself caught up in kind of the expectations of being a woman at the time. Um, she's young, she's of marriable age, um, but she also happens to have a best friend who's a wild wolf. Um, and the way that you juxtapose and explore the, um, the differences between being a kind of a wild creature and being a kept toy. Right, what it means to yeah. be a woman who is trapped, who is not just, you know, who, who, the joy that you can find in marriage, but also the kind of cage you can find yourself in and how that conflicts with, you know, the wildness of who you want to be um, can turn very toxic and very dangerous. It was a, it, it, what was interesting for us in some ways, because I mean, look, like we are an odd pair to write that particular story. Um, and I think part of the way that this project came about was because Dalen and Colin and I are such friends and that we have like a real trust and honesty between us. So we had approached Dalen on something different, had brought them a script that we thought was really cool. They read the script and were like, this is really cool, but this is kind of you guys writing way outside your experience. Are you sure you want to do this? And we were like, actually, you know what? You're probably right. Maybe this isn't really the, the, the story we should be telling. Like maybe this isn't the take. Um, what do you got? And they showed us this image of the woman with the skull head. Yeah. And we're like, well, that's amazing. What is it? And Dalen was like, I don't know, but let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my abuse experience. Let me tell you about my whole deal. Yeah. And in those conversations, we became sort of intimately aware of thought processes that we had never had to go through, of experiences that we had never had to go through, but of the ways in which those uh, those things crossed over with our lived experience. Those things that were universal, that weren't just like feminine experience, that were universal human experience, and that we could funnel through a lens that felt like it was going to be, you know, able to be read by anybody and understood by anybody. And so Dalen was awesome enough to just trust us with their experience, mm. handed that to us, was like, build me a script, however long, figure it out see what happens. I want something that I can just draw, that I can just sit down and do a long sequential piece because no one was giving them that opportunity. So we had to self-generate. And so years ago, we put together the first script for Wolf Wolf, uh, which was the title that they described to the book. Uh, and we 
sent it to them and they did a pass. We did another pass and another pass. Galen was effectively the editor on this book as well as the, the artist. Wow. And we went around and around on this as a collaboration for quite some time. And then uh, for the last year during pandemic, Dalen just took it and drew it. And so uh, it's almost completely inked at this point. It'll be colored very soon. Um, nice. Preview pages are done, covers are done, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and now it is gonna be this like, it's over 40 pages, one shot, like beautiful horror story, just beautiful like horror fantasy. Wow. Um, wow. Really unlike a lot of stuff on the shelves, it's very much a, a flowback to um, the Neil Gaiman stories that, that yeah. we were raised on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really personal and beautiful piece for all of us. We're really excited about it. Uh, and it is also our only creator-owned output in like four years. We've really not done a creator-owned book since Zojacon at fall. Right. And we, we, we won't be doing one for, for a while. We know what our next one is, but it's probably not going to come out for a couple of years. We're just signing the papers now. So this is carving our own destiny while we're doing The Harbinger and Beyond and Kang and what comes after Kang. Um, all of that stuff is giving us the ability to finally go and do a Kickstarter that um, we think you know we can really stand behind. And it's not like we're doing a 12-issue series or a six-issue series. You're not signing on for this huge thing. You're signing on for just like one cool 40-page book that will come and will be as beautiful as we can make it given where the crack of fun lies. Yeah, so, so we, um, have a, we have big plans. I mean, back matter and including scripts and alternate pinups and Dylan is huge. Dylan wants to put real gold in the book. Like, who knows what's happening? Gold foil. Yeah, nice. Um, but That's wild. It's, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a really incredible thing. We're gonna be launching that Kickstarter in October. Um, so like oh. October, we'll take a look out at uh, our social channels or at Dalen Ogden at Dalen Ogden, um, and we're gonna be uh, putting that thing up everywhere we're really excited about that yeah. oh that's awesome i'm sure aipt will cover it we usually do for uh kickstarters oh, oh. lovely awesome well we'll make sure you guys see it. yeah totally sure that's it for our interview portion we wanted to play a quick game with you guys if you were interested oh we love we love stupid bullshit we absolutely there's <laughs> this game called super fight oh it's it's disappearing oh super fight hell yeah uh and i wanted to pit for just a randomly, I just picked two characters, uh, Harbinger and Kang. Heard of them. <laughs> and I was wondering if you guys could help us figure out who would win one of these fights. And I just pulled this card. I'm not cheating. It says, who would win in Twister? Harbinger <laughs> or Kang? This is very important. Fans need to know the answer, and you guys are the only ones that can give them that. All right. No one, no one shall put right foot on blue better than Kang. I was like, Kang would be fucking loud about it. Oh, he'd be so fucking serious, and he'd be like stretching, like get, get thou, thou foul, bod pedestrian body off. Is, is, is Peter one leg up on his fucking thigh, like yeah. some weird shit? Peter would absolutely oh. win a twister. Yeah, he is way ganglier, especially how he's drawn by Robbie. He's got like <laughs> infinitely long arms and legs. He's got like Peter Parker proportions. Oh, so sure. He can really I mean, get up in there. Yeah, he can fly. He can also right? float. Yeah. Float. I mean, Peter Peter is a reality manipulator. Manipulator. He just turns the dots whatever color he wants. And he's right. just like, oh, right, put on red. Now, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Could Kang get some of his previous selves to show up, put their foot on different colors, and it's still him? Oh. Huh? So, Peter, so Peter, Peter's like, they're, they're like, they're like left foot on green. Yeah. And Peter's like on, on his back. Oh. Okay, yeah. really stretch, 
that if you do it, you can get your hand on a red, right? And he's about to do it. And he's moving up his hand to do it. And Kang goes back in time to the manufacturer. Kills Milton Bradley. (laughs) Goes back to the point. Peter puts his hand down. The hand, it, it is the wrong color. Kang wins. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. It's good. <laughs> Time travel, man. It's a mess. For sure. That's the only way Kang really ever wins. Honestly, that's that is true. true. That is yeah. true. Good point. That's, it's not cheating if you are the winner. <laughs> well, Colin and Jackson, thank you for resolving that problem. It was bugging me for the last, well, about two minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're helping. So you've got Kang the Conqueror number two out September 15th. You've got Batman Urban Legends number seven out September 14th. And then you've got Harbinger out October 27th with FOC October 4th. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on the APT Comics Podcast. Hey, genuinely our absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks, fellas. Take care.